Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the danger lurking within every human soul. Pray go before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, Proverbs 16, 18 says. And it's ever present, ladies and gentlemen, even as Christians. Every once in a while, we get a little glimpse of it. You look in there, you see those two eyes open up in the darkness. You want to close that door. People say, I got to go find myself. You got to hope to God you never find yourself. It's a scary situation. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With King David on the brink of losing his kingdom to his own son Absalom, God protects David's reign through a complicated series of events, events which would give rise to a battle to the death of Absalom. Through this powerful story, Pastor Xavier unpacks the simple truth of how selfish rebellion can lead to very destructive pride. Let's listen. David has fled from Jerusalem with all his loyal subjects as a broken man. For his firstborn, Absalom, is attempting to overthrow him. David ascended up the Mount of Olives, weeping. He has his head covered, he's barefoot, and then he's told that Ahithophel was one of the conspirators with Absalom. When he reached the top of Mount of Olives, he worshiped God. And Hushai came to him at that time, and he sent him back that he might be his spy and the one to defeat the council of Ahithophel. Hushai was to inform two other spies David had sent back, Zadok and Abiathar the priest, and they were to send messages through their two sons, Ahimaaz, and Jonathan, of which David received the message that he was to cross the Jordan because they didn't know that time which council was accepted. We know with hindsight after that that Hushai's was accepted and not Ahithophel's. And so David crossed over and he came to the city of Mahanim, which was the city, remember, the place where Jacob coming back home by God's direction and his brother Esau was going to meet him. And he was all freaked out. And that means two camps. He saw the angels to protect him. This is the place where David is uh, lodging. The council of Ahithophel, having been defeated by God through Hushai, now Absalom heads out, crosses the Jordan, and he encamps in Gilgal. And what we have before us is the battle between Absalom against his father. A tragic scenario, but it falls into three movements that I think are very instructive to all of us for our lives. First of all, the battle and the death of Absalom, verse 1 of chapter 18 to verse 18. Then the second movement is the battle victory report and the death of Absalom in verses 19 to 32. And the third and last movement is the last verse of 1833 to verse 8 of 19. The bitter grief of David over the death of Absalom. The battle and the death of Absalom comes first, 1 through 18. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the commanders for the battle were appointed by David. How difficult is this? You're fighting against your own son. 
And sometimes in life, things like that do happen. Not that you want harm to your son, to your daughter, to your relatives or friends, but there has to be a defense when things happen. Difficult. David numbered the people in verse 1, appointed captains for the battle, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds. In verse 2, David divided the army between the captains. Notice one-third under Joab, the other one under Abishai, his brother. And the third under Ittai the Gittite, great name. He's this Philistine warrior that loved David and came to him. He had just arrived when David was fleeing. Remember, and, and David said, listen, just go in the city. You just got here. No, no, no. I'm committed to you. Wherever you go, I go. Great guy. And then notice at the end of two, David expressed his desire to go to battle also himself. In verse 3, notice the men refused David's request to go into battle. Now, David is emotionally tied completely, but also he's older, and also he's the target. But sometimes we're involved emotionally. We, we can't think properly. It's always great to have people around to kind of just, you know, that old commercial, slap, they slap you, say, thank you, I needed that. Bring you back to your senses. Notice in verse 3, the men refused David's request to go into battle. And they strongly refused him. He says, but the people answered, you shall not go out. And they stated he would be the focus of that battle very clearly. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. Because this is a battle for the kingdom. They want to kill David. And so they stated David was irreplaceable and more valuable Staying in the city. But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. They wouldn't be distracted. They wouldn't have to worry about David. The king conceded to the men. He humbly submitted. Then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. And he intensely watched them right off. The battle. Now remember, he did this when he fell with Bathsheba. He had learned, I'm going to battle. <laughs> but this time, I was good to stay home. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. And you can imagine the um, anxiety and the anticipation of David, because this is not just the enemy, but it's his son. In verse 5, the intercession of David for Aslan in view of the battle is given to us here. This was an order, by the way. Look at verse 5. Now the king had uh, commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. This was witnessed by all, by the way. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's orders concerning Absalom. This is an important little footnote. It's going to be applicable towards the end. Now, Notice verse 6 to 8, the destruction of the army of Absalom in the battle by the men of David is given here. And, you know, when God deals with specific, say, battles or sexual things, God is just straight to the point. He isn't real detail and all that. He just, but you understand the impact, you know? It's amazing. We like to focus on all those things that, you know, take away from the real learning experience and all that. God is just incredible the way he records things. Look at verse 6. The field of the battle took place in the woods of Ephraim. Israel indicates all the 
opposing tribes that had conspired with Absalom. Uh, the kingdom's divided here. Okay, remember the monarchy from the judges? It was anarchy, and God was setting up David for the monarchy, but they chose Saul first, so on and so forth. He accomplished the monarchy. Now the kingdom is in jeopardy of being divided. It will ultimately be divided through the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Notice seven, the army of Absalom was destroyed by the servants of David. It just says that. 20,000 of the rebels fell that day. A great slaughter. 20,000 is a heck of a lot of men. Notice verse 8, the battle was dispersed over all the countryside, but the treacherous woods killed more than the sword. In other words, the army of Absalom were not familiar with the terrain and the uh, gullies and the, uh, the woods, everything. They weren't experienced in that kind of atmosphere, and it wiped them out. Uh, there's, there's much to say about uh, what type of warfare is going on, whether it's jungle fighting or desert fighting or stuff like that. Uh, those who understand the terrain have the upper hand. Now, in verse 9 through 18, notice the adversary Absalom is killed now by Joab, one of the commanders of David here. In verse 9, the odd event that overtook Absalom is interesting. Absalom encounters David's men. And as he rode on his mule, he confronts them, and his head gets caught on the tree by his hair. The glory of his person. Remember, he used to pull his hair before everybody. And there's something that said about the glory of a woman is her hair. When you see long hair, it's just innate. Well, this boy got hung by his own glory. Wow. Notice there still in verse 9, Absalom hung between heaven and earth as his mule rode off. How fitting is that? Josephus is the first to indicate that he hung by his hair, even though it doesn't say hair. But of course, if it was just his head, it probably would have broke his neck. It's his hair. He's just sitting there like a piñata, you know? <laughs> verse 10 through 13, the news of Absalom reached Joab. In 10, one of the men told Joab about Absalom hanging by his head. I, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. He goes, Joab, you know, Joab's looking for Absalom. Joab's got it in for him because, you know, he's got a personal investment in this. Joab rebukes the man for not killing him. Look at verse 11. His astonishment is, is declared to us. So Joab said to the man who told him, you, you just saw him? And he's... His outrage also is declared. He says, and why did you do not strike him there to the ground? And then his enticement. I would have given you 10,000 shekels of silver and a belt. Oh, gee, really? <laughs> now, some believe Joab had offered reward, but nothing in the tax or anywhere else. It's just speculation. But Joab is a shrewd warrior. He is a warrior at heart. He cares about nothing but being faithful to that call. He loved David. He protected David. He was loyal to David and to the nation. He had his quirks. He had his failures. And some of those failures were due, were due to David because he made him part of the slain of Uriah, which turned the heart of Joab a little bit. So you've got a lot of complicated things going on here. Don't just read this text and say, you know, you've got to get into it. What's going on here? There's emotions running 150% here. Look at 12 and 13. 
the man reproved Joab back. Money was no temptation, but the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. Why? He had heard David. See, here we get now more information that we didn't get in the beginning there when he gave the order. Listen. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Very important. So what's going to take place is a direct disobedience to David by Joab. We'll catch up with him when Solomon reigns because Solomon will kill Joab. (laughs) By the counsel of David, by the way. (laughs) Look at 13. It says he would have signed his own death sentence. He says, otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. David would have found out. He would have said, Joab, kill him, and you would have killed me. (laughs) Good common sense fear (laughs) keeps you alive. Now look at 14 through 18. The death of Absalom by the hand of Joab was Again, contrary to the orders of David. In verse 14, Joab did not want to lose time. So he becomes impatient with this guy and he takes three spears uh, in his hand. He thrusts them through Absalom's heart as he hung there on the tree. How ironic is this? Joab had been responsible for restoring Absalom, remember, back in the favor of David. He had petitioned for him after Absalom had burned his fields. He wouldn't come. He had sent that woman to give him that parable. Absalom had betrayed Joab's trust and favor. Look at 15. The ten young men of Joab then surrounded Absalom, also struck him. You see, the ten men were under Joab's command. Don't miss that. And they were loyal to Joab. In this way, Joab could not be blamed alone. Ten of us did it. Another guy, we don't know who. Men like Joab are necessary because men love their countries and men are willing to lay their lives down and risk their lives. They do things to keep us safe. And we don't mind being safe, but it's when we become so politically correct, then we want to hang the ones who protect us. It's a great crime against them. Look at 16. The victory trumpet was sounded for retreat. Joab blew the trumpet. The people returned from pursuing Israel, and Joab held the people back because they just dispersed. That was it. You cut the head off, the body falls apart, right? The leaders. In 17, the end of the rebellion of Absalom was a tragic one. Notice it was one of dishonor in verse 17. And they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. The burial of a cursed man Under Deuteronomy 21, verse 20 and 21. And if you remember Achan, who stole the accursed thing in Joshua 7, 26. Thinking he was king, trying to be king, he ends up accursed. It's also one of shame. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. It fell apart, his little kingdom. Now in 18, Absalom was a very vain person. We get a little footnote here about him, which is important and interesting. It says he has set up a pillar for himself in the king's 
valley. But here it is that he's made a pillar for himself. He is so in love with himself. Absalom, as we've looked at, are people that you want to get away from. They're not only dangerous to themselves, but certainly to you. Notice the reason being, he had no sons to keep his name in remembrance. His daughter and the three sons that he had must have died. 2 Samuel 14, 27 tells us he had a daughter and three sons. And it's interesting. We, we want to be, vain people want to be remembered. You know what I mean? Xavier Rees Hall. <laughs> and we want to put our name on everything. I don't even want my name on a toilet seat. <laughs> we are so vain. He called the pillar after his own name and to this day is called Absalom's monument. So you promote yourself. You make your own endowment. You write, you write your own obituary before you die. Biographies are usually written after you die by other people that admire you. The rebellion of Lucifer, if you remember, against God in heaven was due to pride, leading one-third of the angels to be cast out of heaven. Now, we can't blame it on God. We can't blame it on heaven being imperfect. <laughs> but it was sin within, that pride. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says. And it's ever-present, ladies and gentlemen, even as Christians. Every once in a while, we get a little glimpse of it. You look in there, you see those two eyes open up in the darkness? You want to close that door. People say, I got to go find myself. You better hope to God you never find yourself. It's a scary situation. <laughs> the question of war is one that is um, misunderstood by Christians, at least some. Some believe that as a Christian, a person cannot go to war, but the Bible never teaches that. It's an implication that people make by subjective application. Some believe that the sixth commandment, I shall not kill is the reality of that teaching that we're not supposed to. But the reality is that that sixth commandment is shall not murder, premeditated murder, first degree murder. You understand? For even the Old Testament law permitted a person to defend themselves against someone who attacked them for life, and if they killed them, they were innocent. You had the cities of refuge to make your cause, to plead. You understand? But premeditated murder was never condoned. It was punished by the execution of the one who shed the life of another person. Both Old and New Testament, Romans, Peter, they do not bear the sword in vain. Simple. Now, war is to defend one's nation against the intrusion of evil imposed upon another. And as long as we live in this world, that will always exist. To not go to war against evil men and nations would be impossible for the, or would be irresponsible for the perpetuation of that sin and evil. If someone is doing something evil towards your wife or your son and you don't intervene to correct that, then you, in fact, are complicit in part of that evil. The principle is the same. To not see this would be to accuse God of doing evil by war. For he commanded Israel to go to war, giving them the victory. And he says, kill men, women, and children. Because they were so vile, so degenerated. In fact, he said, even the animals 
because they use animals to worship in the rituals of bestiality because God is holy. In fact, one of the titles for God throughout the Old Testament, but Exodus 15.3 will give you a text, the Lord Yahweh is a man of war. The Lord Yahweh is his name. In fact, many references are made to the book of the war of the Lord in the Old Testament that we don't have the record of all the wars, the battles he fought. Jesus, when he comes back, he will make war with the saints against the nations gathered at the Valley of Megiddo, as you know, who will attempt to stop Jesus from setting up the kingdom. Revelation 13, 7, 17, 14, 19, 11, and 19 will give you some passages. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8, 11. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. If you don't stop the evil, it will continue. We're going to see the parallel as David is jeopardizing this kingdom because of the way he responded. The only way this world makes any sense is if a person believes in the fall. People verify the effects of the fall. We live in a fallen world. Evil is ever present. People lie. They cheat. They deceive. They steal. They're immoral. They're unethical. They are cruel and inhumane to other individuals. They rape little children. They murder senselessly. They assault older people. They not only kill senselessly, but they mutilate bodies. And by the way, this is not the exception anymore. Hmm. The only way this world makes sense if you really believe the fall, that man is not that good. Romans 3, 10 and 11 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. Wow. Do you understand how graceful and how loving God is towards us? If I was God, I'd barbecue us. Thank God he's different from us. Even in the millennial kingdom, there will be war at the end. Jesus will be ruling. Those who don't take the mark of the beast will enter the kingdom. But at the end, Satan will be let loose and he will once again bring deception and the majority of the people will follow him to show that it's not the environment that's the problem. To silence all psychologists. It's the heart. Listen to Revelation 20, verse 7 through 9. Now when the thousand years will expire, Satan will be released from the prison and will go out to deceive the nations. Nations are deceived, not only people. Which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, which number is as the sands of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. God makes war. Because he's holy and just. The battle and death of Absalom was through selfish rebellion. This is what God fights against. Selfish rebellion. Selfish pride cannot be taken for granted when rooted in destructive rebellion. 
a powerful Simple Truth lesson from Pastor Xavier Reese. And you can find this program online to hear any part you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And though we've had to break for today, only partway through this message, drawn from 2 Samuel chapter 18, as always, you can pick up a CD copy of this message as well. The title you want to ask for is simply, Life is Sweet and Bitter, and is available for only $4 upon request. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is, Life is Sweet and Bitter, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com